So everybody, welcome to True House Stories. This week, we tend to focus our cameras onto the capital of house music. Again, Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. Some of you know, this is a town where a lot of great talent was created. A sound was born and became the sound of a generation. And we are now one of our forefathers, our founders of this game. He was right there when the shovels were breaking ground, you know, with Frankie and all of them. And this man's name is Byron Stingley, and his voice is synonymous. At first known for the group Ten City, then went on his own as Byron Stingley, the artist, and had huge success with that. And now back, as they say, 180 degree back and turn back around to 10 city. Now he's going to talk about all that stuff, new albums, everything he's done. He's even has a son that was professional. Two of them actually that play professional football. And I'll tell you, I mean, you talk about success as a dad, husband. Um, I'll tell you about the occupation he's doing, all that good stuff. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the monologue. I want him to tell you. So please let us all help to welcome Mr. Byron Stingley. Yeah. Byron. Cheers, like Howard Stern and all of that. Yeah, man. I don't have that yet. We, budget doesn't allow me, but we're getting there. I got to talk to the people in budgeting. <laughs> <laughs> So everybody's stepping up in and the numbers are starting to raise and thank you. I, I got him to do this and, and he said, yeah, I can do it because every time I've asked him for different dates, he hasn't been able to do to other things that he had to do. And I'm going to say it like this, Byron, we're going to start off with, with, you know, happy Thanksgiving to everyone around the world and all servicemen and everybody. And thank God we got through this election and hopefully we can get this COVID under control soon. And everyone remember, keep wearing those masks. But for that, pause on that. We got I heard it's still going on. They're doing counts and everything. And yeah, well, there's something going on today. They got this thing in Gettysburg. I don't know. It's like every day is another thing. It's craziness. Um, so the first question I ask every guest is, you know, as a young man, young kid, how does music find young Byron Stingley? Uh, music found me by I just used to. I was a huge music fan. I used to like imitate people even as a little kid when I first could start talking and walking. I used to imitate uh, showing my age artists like Chubby Checker. I would do the twist and sing the twist and all of that and Elvis Presley imitations. And then uh, there was a group around the Chicago area called the Jackson Five. And uh, I used to imitate a young Michael Jackson back when even before their Motown days, uh, they would they would show them on local shows in Chicago, this new group. And uh, I just said, that's what I want to do. And I, I did a mean uh, Michael Jackson impression impersonation as a kid. Really, I didn't know this. I didn't know you were an impersonator as well. I've got to put that to list. Yeah, not not the not the skinny Mike that did all you know the little I you which, know when he was doing so which Michael were you which part which of uh, which kid like uh, Santa Claus coming to town I was that I could do that Mike you know and you still can that's crazy 
Yeah, I, I, I used to like love that mic, uh, and and I just knew that that was something I wanted to do. And um, I actually had a really good gift as a kid. Uh, I could like hear somebody sing, and I could do I could do a spot on impersonation of almost any singer. A lot of times, even male and female singers. So you know, I guess I would have been great in like a cabaret show or something like that. You know, I could have been on RuPaul. Oh, so who, was the most, who was the person that you felt most comfortable always impersonating? He's, everybody said, oh, Byron, you did so great. Byron. Uh, the person that people like, used, uh, I used to could do a, a really good uh, Philip Bailey impersonation uh, when Earth, Wind & Fire, when Philip Bailey joined Earth, Wind & Fire. They, Earth, Wind & Fire had been around for a while, too. They were a, a local group out of Chicago. And when Philip Bailey joined them, that's when they really uh took off but i i could do a, a really good spot on uh eddie kendrick uh, eddie kendrick's impersonation uh philip bailey the stylistics all the uh, all the falsettos uh it was a group called enchantment like with songs like gloria i could i could do do that and curtis mayfield uh it just just but eddie kendrick's was eddie kendrick's was like my favorite, keep on trucking, girl. You need to change your mind. Going up in smoke, uh, could go could go on and on. Date with the rain, you know, all his kind of club joints. I love. Were you um, musically trained, professionally speaking? I wasn't professionally uh, trained in music, but I played I played drums as a kid. I played uh, uh, my first uh, instrument was uh, guitar, and I played like. Um, play like a lot of, believe it or not, like folk songs, like Bob Dylan and stuff like that. I played a lot of that on the guitar and would do my own versions of it as as a kid. And, uh, so uh, guitar, drums, and uh, and then when Prince came along uh, with like a lot of the synth sounds, I started uh, playing in bands and I played keyboards in, in bands and things like that. Can you imitate Prince at all? People are asking me already to say, because he, since he's an yeah, Of course I could imitate Prince. <laughs> My favorite Prince song was uh, Adore. Until the end of time, I'll be there for you. You are my heart and mind. I truly adore you. If God one day struck me blind, your beauty I still see. Love's too weak to define. Just what you mean to eat. Yeah, I love Prince. Well, thank you. Thank you. I remember well, we'll get into that in a moment about when you had your story. I got a good I got a really good print story. Got a really good print story. So we were doing uh Ten City was doing a show in Miami. Um um it was like had to have been about 92, 93. We were doing a show and we did our sound check and we come back and we're getting ready to perform. And all of this music equipment is set up on the stage where we're supposed to perform. And I'm asking the club owner, man, could you please, where did this crap come from? Can you please, it's like ham and organs, drums. I said, could you please take this crap off the stage? How can we perform with all this stuff on here? And he was, he just was kind of chuckling. No, you're going to have to perform around it. And I'm not really somebody that kicks up a whole lot of mess. But I was like, this is messed up. This is really, really messed up. And so go on and perform and 
kind of had to stand in place and perform. And then we get almost to our last song and the club owner calls me over to the side of the stage. He said, uh, I want to come out and make a quick announcement. I said, come on, you know, all right, fine. He comes out and says, I don't want anybody to leave the stage after 10, I mean, leave the, uh, the club after 10 city performs. I have a special presentation for, for the audience here. And I don't want anybody to leave. I don't, I'm doing this something special for you all tonight. Please don't leave. And so we do our last song, hit the last note. Prince and his band come running out the back of the club, hop on stage, and they perform. And the crowd went nuts. They went absolutely nuts. And he performed like the song Get Off, uh, Diamonds and Pearls, Cream, all the songs that was on that, uh, that was on that, uh, on the album Diamonds and Pearls. And that was really a great, and I was like, wow, like, you know, Prince chose like one of our shows to showcase his new album. And I thought yeah, that was really cool. Mentioned to you. I think they, they should have mentioned to you that, that all the band and everybody was there that you were going to perform, you know, don't, don't, don't wig out on us. Stay cool. We got Prince here on the down low, but you know, you got to go stand there and do your little, do your show. And then yeah, I felt like I was going the closet. Sidestep, right? You felt like the sidestep feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. But not to be funny, before we can get to that, what year was that, and what level was at Ten City at? You already had the gold album by that point. I had. Uh, we had several gold albums by See, that point. So uh, why should you be stepchild? Yeah, but we we weren't on Prince on Prince level, uh, but we had several gold albums and. Uh, we had, had gold in South Africa, had songs were on numerous uh, gold and platinum compilation uh, albums. We had uh, one number one record with That's The Way Love Is, and we had just left Atlantic and had just signed to Columbia Records at the time. Okay. That, and, and, and to us, you are our prince. You know what I'm saying? You and our in dance music, you are that guy. You are um, stylistics. We are, we've all said it to you. Always. You are that high, you know, level guy and that group that crossed out of the club scene and made it big. You know, there's not many that I could say you're one in a few, you know, but before we go even that far, that far, and that's a compliment to you and what you accomplished. Let's go back a little bit in time. Let's talk about high school. Let's talk about the Chicago situation, music that was like for you at that time and coming up before you meet Marshall. Because I know there was a band called Ragtime that you were involved in as well. So, well, Yeah, but even before that, I was in a group called Dead 7. I had a group called The Black Pearl, which was like kind of like a new wave, a new wave band that I played in. I actually got offered a record deal with CBS Records right out of high school. And at that time, I turned it down. Um, I decided to go go to college and everybody told me I was making a huge mistake that uh, I should have took the record deal then, but our education was very important to me at the time. And I want to, I want to uh, finish college and then at least have that and then pursue, start really pursuing my uh, music career. And so, um, and I'm kind of glad I did. Before you do that, but what was the educational ending for you in your mind? If it wasn't music, what were you going to be majoring in? For the education side, I got, I got a degree in psychology. Uh, um, I, I got a degree in psychology. I had like I was like a 
like one or two classes from having a minor in theology. And so like basic, like, I guess, uh, humanitarian type of, uh, classes and doing with the social, social field, you know? Okay. So then you, as now we pick up from that point. So you, you went and put the pause in CBS and you go black pearls and keep on, take us on that journey. Go ahead. Well, I was playing in a band and we were known throughout Chicago, like, uh, and people used to like to book us cause they could tell us like we could play anything. And I'm not just saying this to be like, uh, you could ask us to like come and, and say, Hey, we want some prints and we could do prints like and sound. And, and I, the band would actually probably kick the revolution band in the butt. You know, Prince was dynamic Can nobody touch him, but the band, I think note for note could match the revolution. I really believe that. Uh, no, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to any of them, but I'm just saying the band was really good and people used to like the book. Cause I remember like, uh, one time, uh, a, they booked us and they said, hey, one of the guys said, this crowd likes blues. Like, okay, I'll give you some blues then. Like, uh, she had one leg in the east or one leg in the west. I was there in the middle trying to do my best. And the crowd's going nuts. Like, you know, I, I could do the blues. Like, on the, they were like, wow, they could do blues. They could do rock. And so that it was just fun doing, uh, for those, of, I hope none of my students was watching and heard me just <laughs> say that. I thought that was great. Like, they going, all right. Like yeah. that, he's like, reminds me of that movie where, where, in, what the hell is it? John Belushi and Dan Acro, and they're telling them, you guys play country? Oh, yeah, we play country. And they play that same damn song. Uh, Raw High. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. It was exactly like that. We used like, to have to like, all night long. And they throw them bottles at them and then play Raw High for five hours. People didn't care. Yeah. Got that too. So, you know, we got, I was in a band, we had quite a good reputation, uh, had, had some good friends and we, you know, we, we, we even got invited to do like Missis some clubs in Mississippi. Somebody booked us to do some clubs in Mississippi one time and, uh, went up to Minneapolis and it, it was just, uh, good times like traveling, you know, trying to make it, you know. So yeah, so in the Midwest, so you, you were basically like somebody like D train told me when he came up at the time, he was doing the Chitlin circuit. Would that be similar? Oh, I definitely did the, did the Chitlin circuit when I would come home during, uh, from college during, uh, during the summer, uh, would go and do shows with, with this band I had doing, like you said, Chitlin circuit, uh, shows and, and, um, uh, but I was, I was also a, a, a club kid, uh, there was a scene here in Chicago where they played, it was a radio show where they played uh, dance, nothing but dance music. Uh, Herb Kent had a show and it would come on at night and everybody would sit up and wait for him. to. Uh, he played dance music certain nights so that people would set their tape, tape recorders to record the show. And he played dance ranging from uh, groups like uh, B-52s, uh, Rock, Rock Lobster, Mesopotamia, and and groups out of England, like, uh, what state farm and Yazoo and was a move out and don't mess, you know, all those kind of, all those kind of records. And mess around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All those yeah. club tunes. He was rocking. Play that along with groups like D train and stuff on prelude and little Evelyn King. So it was like all the best of dance music. And they would announce where, where a party was going to be that weekend. And like, 
So, you know, people would listen to the show and, and be lined up trying to get in these little small uh, intimate uh, clubs. And it was like just a whole, whole, whole new world. Like, and it was people were having a good time. You could be safe in there. Wasn't, wasn't any fighting or anything like that. People were just coming to dance music, just uh, the vibe of it at that time was just a really safe, fun time for young people, you know. You never had to worry about a fight or anything like that when you went to these clubs and uh, just really fun times. See, people don't get that. They they thought, you know, like where we went and party was like hoodie or it was rough. It was never like that in our clubs. No, it's so, what's so funny is I remember one time, like I, I was a, my, my, my nickname probably should have been friend zone as a kid because like all the girls liked me, but I was like all the girls like best friend, best buddy. And so I would go to parties and, 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 and meet girls and they were all like, Oh, you know, that's Byron. He's our f friend. And they would all come out of house. And I, I lived in the hood and my buddies would like from the hood would be like, Hey, let's talk to you. What you got going on, man? Like, you know, where are all these girls that come through to come see you? Where are they coming from? Why? What? <laughs> Yeah, so, and I had to explain to them. I was like, hey, man, they're like, I meet them at the house music. The house music, and, and not to be funny, they was like, I thought, I thought only gay guys listen to house music. It's like, no, that's not, that's not true. Uh, it's like some, it's like some so, everybody. So, there, but, so let's talk about where you live. Are you in the south side of Chicago at that time? Let me I grew up on the west side of Chicago. West, okay. I grew up. Yeah. So, so to explain to people when you talk about the guys from the projects of the hood, what were they into? What was the scene like, you know, around you? What's going on? You're going to house parties, but what are they what are they into? So they don't know anything about house music. They, I mean, you had two scenes. They were like in, into like uh, some of the rap, like, you know, that was starting at the time, like, you know, uh, KRS-One, Eric B and Rakim. But, you know, this was actually a little before that, but they went to more uh, R and B and things like that. And what we had in Chicago, like uh, it was another tempo of music, like was more like urban, like uh, we call it stepping music. They went to stepping and things like that. I'm trying to, like, believe it or not, um, what's my man named Cat Stevens had a big a big stepping record in Chicago, and it was called Was a Dog a Donut, and uh, don't, 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 don't. And everybody used to, I think you all call it hustling, but it was slower. And, right. Uh, That's exactly hustling. Right. Yep. And, and, and the guys in my hood, like a lot of them had finger waves. I don't know. You don't know nothing about finger waves, Lenny, but they had finger waves, what we call butter and perms and things like that. And they I remember stepped. seeing it. I know what it is. I don't have it, but I know what it is. I know. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, they use a lot of relaxer. Yeah, it was real relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of relaxer. And what was that? Soul Glow? They use it. Hook no, it that, was that was later. Uh, that, was, uh, that, was, that was Jerry Curls and stuff. Somebody's talking about a fight broke out at the at the music box. I'm trying to see who that was. I told you they're, was, they're talking to us. Many nights they said fights kept this. So let's keep it real. There was fights there. Do you okay? Look, there was fights always at these spots, but not like in hip hop in hip hop clubs and stabbing. Yeah, nobody, nobody getting 
stabbed and all of that kind of stuff and glass. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see too many fights, but so as you, so was- I, I, had to be, I had to be both worlds. I had to because where I live, I had to. I had to know how to bop and step and and all of that too. That's the bomb. That's what I'm talking about. Keeping the wheel finger waves. I love that in the hair. I could see it. But my for people don't notice my hair is uh when I had hair, my hair is naturally curly. So it's so funny. I just ran into a girl uh who I went to high school with. She's like, I really liked you, but you you was wearing that Jerry curl long after a Jerry curl played out. And I was like, uh, I didn't have a Jerry curl. My hair was naturally curly like you stop playing you had an s curl i didn't i didn't like guys with s curls so anyhow <laughs> trying to think what what chuck Ber- not chuck yeah chuck berry had curly hair too not chuck berry um was it chuck berry you want to play the guitar yeah he had he had pretty curly hair too yeah wow i didn't even know but i do remember you having hair a long time ago, when you first started with Ted, I do remember that. That I do. Yeah, remember. I was, born, I, was born, I was uh, you know, as a teenager, I had hair and stuff, man. Like you know, I, that's later. You went with that, you know, that shaft look, Isaac Hayes. That's later. Yeah, yeah. I got tired because it kept going back further and further, and I no, had the what they call receding. Yeah, I didn't like how it looked. All right, so now on the timeline of Byron Stingley, we, we're knowing that he's doing Chitlin Circuit. He's in education. He's doing that. He's going into clubs. What year was the club scene for you really breaking out? Uh, the club scene in Chicago broke out in the early 80s. Like I said, D-Train and all those prelude and records and like that and West End, those records was hitting in Chicago. And around about 84, 85, uh, People in Chicago started dibbling, dabbling with their own kind of little production. Some of the first people to really dib and dab was uh, Jamie Principal, uh, you know, with Your Love and uh, Bad Boy and records like that. And then, of course, uh, Jesse Saunders did a, a track called On and On, and he put it out. And once he put that out, it was it was on and popping. Others like were around at the time, like uh, Chippy was doing his thing. Uh, it's time to jack, and they would play that like at the music box, uh, and they would go nuts. Like his house, house, and they would just be, they would just jump around, slam dance on the floor. It was, it was something to see. The energy in there was. Uh, but really where something. does that word jacking come from? Where does that, for people that we've heard that it's time to jack, 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 and where does that come from? Well, it's like when they used to dance, they would kind of jump around like that and people like start to s- describe it like that they were jacking. And so uh, then, uh, you know, Steve Hurley did a song called Jack Your Body, you know, Jack, 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 your body, Jack, 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 your body, you know, and and it's time to Jack. And that's what they just started labeling it as it was a style of dance. They called it jacket. Yeah, because before that, including in New York, nobody knew it was house music. We just knew it as like dance music or R&B dance music. We never said house music. A lot, a lot of people have different versions of different ways of, of how it started, but 
from from people used to come in like Frankie would play stuff at the warehouse and people would come in to this store called Imports and uh and ask like hey I want what's is Frankie played this record and went like this so they created their own section in there they had the Euro Imports records but they created a section and they just call, like shorten it from warehouse to like people that come in looking for that they labeled like put a a sign on the band said all the house records over here and that's kind of like what i give the origins of it to and people it stuck people start calling it house music uh and like uh i remember like um the first person to really get me into doing house house music was uh vince lawrence um he came to me one day and he was like he kind of gave me this like hey let's take over the world type speech and i was like what are you talking about vince and he was like no you're a club kid you're always in the club you're always dancing you're at all the parties and he said you do music why are you doing r&b why are you doing new wave let's all do this house music together create our own sound and uh and you know we could we could be the innovators of this and we could be the at the forefront and the pioneers of this and we're going to create our own movement and this i was like wow sounds good sounds good to me and he really convinced me because i did love club music but the problem was was like i never saw a lot of the club artists on soul train i never saw them on american bandstand or shows like, like that and he was like hey we're going to be the first just like prince got his minneapolis sound we're going to create this uh chicago sound and i was like i'm with it and then it's a funny story, but he, I, I went back to college and Vince called me and was like, you know, call, he called me and was like, uh, Hey man, when you coming back, we need to do some records. And I was like, what's going on? And he told me Jesse and Vince had did a record like fast cars. They did another record called, uh, those pretty girls. They had another one called real love and they were playing it on, on the radio in Chicago, like heavy rotation, their records. And he was like, he said, me and Jesse, and it, I, I misheard him. I had to misheard him because he, it sounded like he said, me and Jesse both just bought Ferraris. And like, I went to the, I went to the admissions office and I put in transfer papers and I transferred, I was downstate in school. I transferred back home to go to a like smaller college by the house. Cause he was like, get home. I said, they got Ferraris. I, you know. And when I got home, the first person I see who pulls up at the club is uh, Vince in a Pontiac Fiero. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> Wait a minute, a Fiero? You just he pulled up in a Pontiac. Oh, the two-seater, that 84, 85 Fiero. He pulled up in that. And I was sitting there like, uh, that ain't a Ferrari, that's a Fiero. And I was like, hey, Vince, my man, I thought you told me you got a, a Ferrari. He said, no, nah, I said Fiero, man, you must have heard me wrong. So I don't know if I heard him wrong. I, but whatever. I, can, I, I know where you're coming from because I would have done the same thing and been like, yo, you said Ferrari. And then... <laughs> Jesse, then Jesse pulls up in a pulls up in a Fiero right next to him, and they got they had both had Pontiac Fieros and living it, feeling so, right, right? 
And he, yeah, and so he was like, "Well, you're back home now, so let's let's get it cracking. Let's get started on this house music." I was like, mm. "All right." So, <laughs> it sounds like the story of when guys we know talk about you know they're they're, they're accomplished now, major players in our game. But you, you stayed in. Well, what was the first day like? Well, they showed us where the the the, the closet was for the broom and the mop, and said, "You're not touching no board." You're gonna be cleaning the toilet bowls for a while. <laughs> I love pre-Thanksgiving stories like this. It just brings it all home for us. Oh, this is great. Okay. So, you know, for those that don't know who Vince Lawrence is, he's another master of the game, too. He, he look him up. He's done so many great records. I can't even begin to say it's he, Yeah, and he's killing it. He does jingle. He's got a company, they do jingles and commercials. All kind of stuff now. So Vince is always doing He just put out a documentary, a documentary that they aired on uh, WTT Top W, uh, which uh, like featured Tom Tom and Marshall Jefferson and Captain Sky, and uh, it was a really good documentary. But uh, so Vince, he was like, "You're home. Let's get cracking on this house music." And so. I start started doing house music, and the first song I did was a song called Funny Love, which was supposed to have been me as an artist, but then the guys in the band I was in, all of them, it's like, you're getting ready to put out an actual record? And I was like, yeah, and so they all came in the studio, and they start playing and adding all this stuff to it, and basically, uh, the record, in my opinion, kind of got a little messed up because everybody was trying to show how well they could play. And so the bass player was like playing stuff. They didn't really have a good feel for house music. And he's playing all this like R and B type of stuff on the song and the keyboard players trying to like, and it got, it just got messed up. And I was just sitting there going like, how did I let this happen? They took over my whole, my whole session, you know? And, uh, it's so funny. And so Marshall was recording in the other room. And this is, how me and him can work together on music. And he came and he tapped me on the shoulder. What studio was this at? Huh? What studio was this at and where? We, we, were, at, we were at CRC, which is one of the biggest, at that time, one of the biggest studios in Chicago. They, like a lot of, a lot of the big artists worked there. And I couldn't believe like, wow, I'm actually in CRC recording. And so uh, Marshall tapped me on the shoulder and he said, hey, Byron, he said, you know, this music sucks, right? And I looked at him like, <laughs> I said, really? And he goes, yeah, but he goes, the melody, he goes, the melody and the lyrics are genius. He was like, the lyrics and the melody is incredible, but this music sucks, man. And I was sitting there because I didn't want to like diss the guys I was in the band with, but I was like saying to myself, they messed this whole session up. and. And then every time I got ready to say something, the guy from the record label, who was Larry Sherman, Larry Sherman kept telling me, well, you know, you're just a singer. Uh, let those guys out of musicians, let them. And I was like, I'm just a singer. And I was like, hmm, okay. You know, but I had a vision for the song. And that's something that uh, I've had to kind of fight with my whole life is sometimes people do take, take it as you're just a singer, but even with the song devotion um i'll get to i'll get to the story okay, yeah. of that but Mar we'll yeah, marco told me 
Marshall had out like uh, he did these tracks, Virgo, the Virgo tracks and and things like that uh, were out at that time. And so he uh, I think Time Marches On, he had did it, but it wasn't out yet. And uh, he was like, hey, would you come? And he said, I want to start writing songs, like actual songs. Would you come and be my songwriting partner? And I was like, yeah. And so that's how me and him start writing together. And he was like, uh, I, I, I would have took it from anybody else as an insult, but Marshall and we had that kind of relationship. It's like, even I ain't going to lie. Wait, he, he brought me the song Move Your Body. He, like, he let me hear Move Your Body when he, when he did. And he was like, this is going to be the biggest, I'm going to call it the house anthem. It's going to be here. Because when he gets excited, his voice gets higher. His voice gets higher than mine when he gets excited. And I was like, mm, that's kind of a bold statement. This is going to be a song to help put house music on the map. Watch what I tell you. And I was like, and I didn't, and I'm going to tell you why I didn't think it would be is because Move Your Body was very, very loose in the way it was uh, produced. What I mean by that, you had sheep and the sheep strings were like very tight, like zoom, da, 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 da. everything was like very on the beat, very uh, truncated, very in the move your body strings. Were like uh, 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 uh. It wasn't quite like right where I mean, for somebody who it wasn't quite like it was like right wasn't quite right, like on the beat, like it should be. Things were just a little slightly. Things were like, even the background, move your body. Some of the singers were behind the other, rock your body, move your body. It was like, uh, like it wasn't like, so things were just, it was, it was very loose with like, a, but it was the looseness and the raw energy of it that made it what it was. And he understood that, you know, and at the time I didn't. And I was like, but when I went to the music box and Ron Hardy played it like four times in a row, I was like, oh my goodness. He was right. He's got something. But he struck gold. I've been right some he did strike gold. That was the golden goose that track. That was a golden yeah. goose. Boy, he got it right. He and definitely got it right. He's yelling through the screaming right now. He's like, yeah, my voice ain't that hot. <laughs> He's yelling through the phone. I can see. Yeah, yo, man, my voice ain't that hot. <laughs> Everybody, Marshall Jefferson is watching very carefully to this interview. <laughs> yeah, but he he was he was he was right. That was and so we go back and forth about you know he was right about this and then I've been right about some things and uh, you know it was you know so we had that kind of like but we had a, a a thing where it's like at least give me your honest opinion if and he knows I could be wrong but he knows if he asks me something I'm gonna at least give him my. Uh, my honest opinion on it. Would you mind if we take a quick second commercial break? Because we got to give our man South Cremona. You want to get a glass of water? Our man South Cremona from the Banger Podcast. A moment here I want to share. He's got some, he's got a nice lineup this weekend. We're going to play the commercial. And he's, you know, back in our show and it's been some people sponsoring. Actually, we're becoming a real station as crazy as this is. True House Stories. But check it out. Check out the commercial. (laughs) 
Thanks. Everybody, check out Sal Cremona's The Banger Podcast this weekend on Saturday night. The Banger Podcast. Share his show. We need to build this up while we're in COVID. This is our clubbing. This is our world. But now that we're back to Byron, and Byron's story is breathtaking. And Marshall's screaming through the phone as I thought he would be. <laughs> the hang, the old hang. <laughs> but I do remember when I did interview Marshall, I'll go back and defense of Marshall. Marshall said that you guys are tight and you're like brothers, hung out. So when you're that tight, you're allowed to break on each other. It's okay to be honest with each other because that's what brother friendship is about. You know, as much as you could be wrong, and sometimes you need that. We've all had it where we need to prove our brothers wrong and it pushes us to do better. So go ahead. So no, but he uh he proved he proved a lot of people wrong, including the record label. Uh they didn't even want to put move your body out when he took it to him. Uh and he 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 actually paid money to get the song pressed up. And they were like, uh, okay, you know. And then uh they went to take some of their records down there to get played at the club and they heard Move Your Body play and was like, Oh my god, then they turned around and pressed it up and put it out as uh Marshall Jefferson, when he wanted it to be on the house, his group, you know, with Curtis and uh, Ruby Forbes. So, um, he, uh, Marshall's a visionary. Like, even when uh, we were working on our first 10 City album, we used to be sitting in the studio, and Marshall, I still remember this. Marshall told me, like, man, 30 years from now, I'm gonna be in England, and you can send me your vocal parts. And I'm gonna be like through the computer and I'm gonna be able to do your vocal parts, put my keyboard, send it back to you. You're gonna put more backgrounds on. You can put the bass and on and guitar. He said, we're gonna be able to send each other like uh, computer files. We're gonna be able to do music in, from different countries and different cities. He said this when we were working on our first album. And I was like, yeah, okay, Marshall. Right. So, so, sounds we good. all said that back then. We were like, what? We would like the biggest, closest thing we had was that telephone thing that was a yeah. Quincy Jones was using. And but that was like you had to be a millionaire to have that technology. We weren't, yeah, he, was, uh, he, he used to watch Star Trek and he was all into sci fi. And I was like, hey, hey, my man, leave that sci fi alone, man. You know, you watch it too much sci fi. And he was like, no, man, all the stuff on Star Trek is gonna be happening about 30 years from now. We'll be in our 50s, man. And we don't, and so what's so ironic is we just did an album and he was in England the whole time. He did his parts. I did my parts in Chicago. Um, a background singer was in L.A. He would lay his parts. I would lay parts. The one, uh, the bass player was in Florida. People were in, like people were all over. The strings got recorded in uh, Virginia. My buddy Martin Bloxon did the strings in Virginia. And I mean, people. So it was like getting done. We had other guys like uh, 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 Robert Bruce uh, from The Who. He was in England doing overdubs and stuff. It was just all the things Marshall said we would be doing like uh, 30 years ago. We, we, we just did an album now using all the technology, he said. So. Wow. That's, and that's visionary when you have that, in, you know, that foresight. That's incredible. But let's be you know, and I hope, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. What were you gonna say? And, and even when he worked on music, he was one of the first people. He had a sequencer 
and he used to play things on on all the white keys or on different chords. He would play something in one key and then and play the other line in another key. And he would sit there on this little computer screen that was about about this big, and he would be looking at it and he'd be twisting the knobs and turning things and truncating and speeding stuff up and slowing stuff down. And you know, you almost would be sitting there like, hey Marshall, you know those two keys don't go together. And he, what, one, one minute, one minute. And he uh, hit a button and and then everything would be in the same key and in the certain timing. And it's like, you actually heard that in your head, but he he's really smart mathematically, you know, even more so than, I, I don't want to, uh, but even more so than musically, he's probably like a mathematical genius. And he put, he put music together like it was some type of math, uh, some type of math uh, puzzle or math formula or something. And just watch, I never seen anybody do that until I watched him actually do that. And he had, he, his brain works very differently from uh, a lot of so, people. So working with Vince Lawrence and a whole bunch of session players and then jumping into the Marshall world was night and day from what I understand. It was totally night and day. So Marshall, like if you have somebody who paints beautiful pictures and things like that, Marshall paints in a very abstract uh, way that the average person would not get or understand if you watch him go through the process. But the end result is 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 pure is pure bliss. Yeah, it can be when Marshall is on, he's on. When he's like, when he's got his confidence and when he's he's got in his rhythm, and you can see it in the studio. He's got that when he's really doing something in this. He's got a certain like like little bop he does when he's sitting at the where he bounces where he's got this certain bounce you go oh yeah he's 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 got one so what's the first song that you guys gather together and he calls you yo like you know how i always call you when we're doing records yo man i got something for you my voice goes high too and you always you always make fun of me too but but give me the marshall side so marshall calls you you mean what's the deal to that first record that happens. He called me about this song called He called me about this song called uh he had a song called Just a Little Bit and we did that and it was uh and and he was excited about it and uh we thought it was a good song. It wound up on a label in England called Jack Tracks. Uh it got licensed by Tracks Records un unknowing to to me, but I didn't care honestly like a lot of people they were looking to get paid from putting out stuff with different labels in Chicago. I didn't look at it like that at all. I looked at it at all like it was it was a calling card. It was something out. It was something that was creating uh, creating a name for myself. And I wasn't looking at it like that was my opportunity to make money when I did some of those early records. Like with uh did that and then uh did a song called Can't Stay Away for uh for Bright Star Dance Mania label Ray Barney who's just like like one of the greatest guys you could ever meet. And uh, Ray Barney, uh, I worked for him. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. I actually, he had he had a record distributorship and they were a record one-stop. And so a lot of the early house records, whoa, I worked whoa, for whoa, Ray Barney. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know what one-stop means. I know what, you know what it means, but we got a lot of people who do not know this old system that we know. So you got to break down with a one-stop and all that and define that, you know. 